Good evening, it is 5 p.m. and I'm CFRC's broadcast journalist, Christina Laurie, and you're listening to Kingston Currents here on CFRC 101.9 FM, based in Kingston, Ontario. CFRC's news programming is brought to you by the local journalism initiative, Queen's University, and What'll I Wear at 732 Princess Street. Now let's get into this week's Limestone Local News. This year's Governor General Literary Awards finalists have been announced, and local Kingston author Ian Reid has made the cut. The Governor General Literary Awards, also referred to as GG Books, occur annually overseen by the Canada Council for the Arts. The awards aim to recognize and promote Canadian literature, including both French and English novels across seven categories, those being fiction, nonfiction, poetry, drama, young people's literature, both text and illustrated books, and translation. The GG Books shortlist this year included 70 books across all categories with Reed's third novel entitled We Spread being included in the fiction category. I sat down with Reed to talk about his novel, which earned him a spot on the GG book shortlist. I want to get right into We Spread. Uh, we'll get a bit more into the meat of the topic, uh, but for our listeners who haven't had the chance to enjoy it, I was wondering if you would be able to give a brief teaser of how you would describe the novel. Sure, yeah, I mean, the novel, um, sort of an unusual novel, and it's about an elderly artist named Penny um, who's been living in the same apartment for her entire adult life. Um, and she's at the stage in life where she's kind of looking back, reflecting on what she's done with her life, her, her art. Um, and uh, she has a fall early on in the story. And after the fall, it's sort of decided that um, it's best for her to move into a long-term care facility. Um, and she does that. And then I, I would say the story either evolves or devolves depending on how you look at it into more of a surreal territory and um, is is sort of about her experiences at this facility called Six Seaters. It's interesting you describe it as unusual. I know it's difficult to put into a box. What kind of genres would you say this book fits into? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, it's a question that a lot of people have asked since it it, it has been published, including the publisher when uh, when it it, it was getting ready to be released. And, you know, I think this has happened with all of my novels. Um, and it's not intentional um, that I, I, they don't really fit into any particular genre. I, I think that's, you know, maybe because just I'm interested in kind of reading different books and, and um, I like the idea of potentially boring aspects or techniques from certain genres, but not necessarily um, giving yourself over fully to it. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't think I'd be very good at, at writing, say, a, a thriller or a mystery. Um, entirely I I just I think there's a there's a certain skill involved in that and I I don't think I have that um it's you know I I think of it as with you know if you think about like in a music context if you if you put in like slide guitar or something into a song where you borrow some kind of instrumentation from say country music doesn't necessarily mean it's a country record um Mm -hmm. and I feel like that's true with literature as well so I think we spread there are probably some elements of you know horror literature there's probably a little bit of science fiction maybe, but it's probably at the end of the day, just a literary novel, you know, a story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like the idea of people being able to interpret it however they want. So if some people read it and see a certain genre, I think that's cool, um, but it's sort of up to them as opposed to me wanting to put it into a particular place. You know, I think, again, a publisher, a bookstore, they like to know so they can put it in a particular section. But um, as a reader, I love going to books and not really going with any expectation and, and I kind of like it or I you know if people want to come to something like we spread and not really expect something specific I think that's probably the best. 
Absolutely. I suppose our real lives and stories don't neatly fit into categories either. So I think it's fitting that our novels shouldn't have to either. Yeah. Yes, that's right. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. And I think, you know, again, just in that vein, if you if you are particular genre, then you do have even subconsciously, you have some certain, you have expectations, you know, and, and that, again, that can be good if it, if it is, if it does fit neatly into that, then that's kind of good. You're ready for that. But if it's not, then I think it can actually detract from the story. So you, I think you're, you know, you're right about that. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Just about the main topic of the story, or one of the main themes you have going on. Of course, getting old and aging is somewhat of a universal experience, or at least something mm-hmm. we all consider, whether all of us have the privilege of experiencing it. But I was wondering if you would uh, get a bit into anything in particular in your life that uh, led you to writing an entire book about it. Yeah. Well, first of all, I, I agree with you. I think you, you use the word privileged and I agree with that. I think that there is a privilege with, with aging and getting older. And I think our culture typically doesn't view it that way. They think of it as a detriment and something to avoid and be scared of. And and I, the more I thought about it, the more I disagree with that. And in fact, I've actually written two books on now because I, I, I did write a nonfiction book about my, my own grandma and kind of her experience getting into her late nineties and spending time with her and reflecting on what being an older person meant for her and how I continue to use her as a model in my own life. And I, so I think I'm interested in that. And, and, and so then I wanted to kind of write about it in a fictional context, but still about these ideas and why is it that we're so scared of getting older and, and dying. And um, I think part of what we spread is really about is, is, is reflecting on that and kind of analyzing it and maybe coming to a different conclusion than what is typically um, accepted in our culture. Um, so I, I just find it, again, something that for me is personally interesting and something I continue to think about. And, and it, it's um, something I, I don't think I'll ever have an answer for, but um, it's just sort of endlessly fascinating for me to think about these things. Yeah, for sure. And you mentioned earlier about, um, you know, you want people to have different interpretations. And of course, with art, people are going to walk away with their own unique interpretations and thoughts and feelings, etc. But is there a particular perspective on this topic that you were aiming to portray or get people thinking about? I think just just really that what you said I, the idea of thinking about it maybe a little bit differently the the ideas of aging and um, what it's like to be a, an older person and particularly in the context of of art um, and I think what you said as well you know people will go to a gallery potentially looking at uh, paintings or visual art and it's it's sort of I think accepted that we will bring different interpretations to a painting some people might look at it and maybe not like it or they'll see something that someone else doesn't see and. I love bringing that same idea to to literature and books and novels. And I, I love reading books that I feel like I get to be part of as a reader, that it's not all given to me, that it's not just an author telling me what to think, but that I get to bring my own experience to it. And it feels like a intimate conversation then because it's you, it feels like, okay, this is what I'm getting from this story, or this is what it's making me feel or think. And so I don't like telling people what to feel if they, if they take the time to read we spread or any of you know i'm thinking many things or foe of my other novels i'm just you know grateful that they're taking the time to do that and i want them to be able to come to it how they want and interpret it how they want and take away from it whatever they want so in the case of we spread i was certainly interested in aging and and um how our culture reflects or how our culture perceives the values in, in getting older or how why we are so scared of getting older and dying and I wanted to think more about that, so I, I kind of used this fictional context to write about it. But I wouldn't d- sort of put any expectations or demands on readers what they're supposed to get from it. Um, I just I really like the idea that people can 
can make of it what they will. And I find it really interesting to hear from people who've read it. And I like to ask them what it, what it all means for them, you know, and, and they're, they're right, basically. If they read it, they have as much authority as I do to say what it's all about. Absolutely. I really like how you um, described it as a conversation. I think that's definitely more interesting than just being told what to think and then yeah. moving on, you know? I mean, it's the same if you're sitting in a room with someone or you're at a dinner party or something and if you're talking with someone, let's say you get sat beside a stranger and you just start having a conversation. There's a difference between having a conversation and, you know, someone expressing themselves and telling you, oh, here's what I think about this or this, you know, you, you, you just don't have, it's, it's not really, you're not engaged. It's, um, whereas if someone is asking you questions and, and it's listening to what you're, you're thinking and feeling and your thoughts, I mean, that's, a, that is actually, that's a, that's what our conversation is. And I think in a way, a novel can be something similar to that between two people, the person who wrote it, and the person who's reading it. And that's how I feel as a reader. I love novels that are like, that feel like that to me. And so I just hope to try and replicate that when I'm, when I'm writing. Yeah, that's really interesting, especially I know I imagine as a writer, sometimes it feels like you're just throwing your thoughts into the void, but it's really yes, awesome to think exactly. about it as a conversation and that people are interacting exactly. with what you've written. <laughs> no, exactly. That's why it's so nice to bump into people or, you know, any anytime I get to do any kind of promotional thing where there are people there and they've read it or talk to them after, it's always very nice to, because you're right, when you're writing it's solitary and you don't, I, I'm never thinking about people reading it. I'm just thinking about the story and, and then to get to that point, when someone gets to interact with it, it does feel in a way like now it's actually the story is completed. You know, it's not really, it's not really a story or a novel until someone reads it. And so it, it, mm -hmm. I don't, it's, you know, again, using another like crude music analogy, like with music, you go out and you perform. So you're seeing this interaction with your work when you're touring and when you're playing it. And that's sort of inherently part of music. It's not true with, with fiction, with writing novels, you know, it's, it, you, you don't see that necessarily. So the, at times like this, like talking to you, or if I get to go do a reading or something, those are kind of neat opportunities to actually then get some of that, that instant feedback from readers, which is, which is very nice. Reed also discussed his reaction to the news of being a GG Books finalist. How did you receive the news? Was this something you were really anticipating and like waiting for that list to come out? Or was it a bit of a surprise for you? I mean, it was uh, downright shocking, to be honest. That Yeah, no, I had no expectations. Um, you know, as I said, it's kind of a strange book. It, it doesn't really fit into any kind of category. And um, so I had I wasn't even really aware that it was happening. And I received the email and just was very surprised. Of course, it's a very pleasant surprise. I'm really grateful that that it was recognized in this way to be included with some other great novels that I, writers that I admire. And it's um, just, yeah, really, really unexpected, but really nice. And, and it's just, it feels like everybody who is nominated is, is it's hard to like, you can't really pick one that's going to be, a, you know, a winner. I, that's not really how I look at it now. It just feels like we're all in this together and, and I'm, I'm kind of grateful to be in this group. So it's, it's really nice. And, and I just, the, if, if it brings more people to, all of these novels and i think that's a good thing you know there's so many good books out there that it's it's hard to sometimes um get people to, to see the work so it's just it's another opportunity for that so i'm i'm, uh, I'm happy for that the full list of finalists is available at ggbooks.ca and they will be announcing the winners of this year's awards on wednesday november 8th 2023
Bell Park encampment eviction case returns to court. The city's bid to evict residents of the encampment at Bell Park and around the integrated care hub has returned to the courtroom this week, with proceedings extending over October 30th and 31st. A rally was organized an hour prior to the beginning of court proceedings at 10 a.m. by the Kingston Encampment Support Network, an organization which came together to support encampment residents as the case has progressed. Encampment supporters, including those with organizations such as Mutual Aid Cataraqui Kingston, gathered with signs and delivered their message to the city. Sophia Lesh Chappelle with the Kingston Encampment Support Network had the following to say regarding the city's response to encampments. The Kingston Encampment Support Network has been really disappointed with the city and the way that it has handled uh, the presence of the encampment in Bell Park and other uh, people who are unhoused who have made smaller encampments or been living just in single tents across the city like over the past three years uh, since the original encampment in Bell Park formed in 2020. Um, the city is just constantly criminalized people who are unhoused uh, and discriminated against them. And while they would claim, I think, and they have claimed in the past that um, they have been using humane approaches, they have been you know, trying to uh, work with people who are unhoused and understand their needs. Um, we we don't think and our understanding from people who are living in the encampment now is that that's not the case, that, you know, they might come down and, and talk to people in the encampment, but they don't actually listen to what they need, which is permanent, safe, affordable housing. Um, a lot of people who are in the encampment, they need access to the integrated care hub and the harm reduction services that they provide. And none of the city's shelters, even the new beds that they've invested in, really meaningfully address that need. And a lot of people in the encampment also don't want to be moved to a shelter bed or a transitional housing space to only be moved from there within a few months or a year. They want to be moved into a space that they can call home and stay there. The court first heard from Will McDowell, one of the lawyers representing the city, who presented arguments with a large focus on safety concerns posed by the encampment, claiming it poses, quote, serious risks for occupants and the community, end quote. Safety concerns associated with the site included fire hazards, vandalism of public property, drug use and sale, and concerns of human trafficking. McDowell also described reported hostility and harassment towards police, as well as paramedics and firefighters from encampment residents, making responders hesitant to visit the site unless called specifically. Due to these safety concerns, it was argued that the encampment is, quote, not a place of safety, end quote, or at least not safer than alternative options, and thus clearing the encampment would not be depriving residents of safety and security. The Kingston Community Legal Clinic, representing encampment residents, responded, specifically addressing the lack of shelter space in the city for residents, the importance of the encampment's proximity to the integrated care hub, and barriers to accessing shelters. The Kingston Community Legal Clinic pointed to the discrepancy between the number of people experiencing homelessness in the city and space available in local shelters. While the city has expanded their shelter capacity recently, the city's legal team acknowledged this fact, conceding that there are still not enough shelter beds for all those in the city who may need them. The barriers at various shelters which make them less accessible or appealing in comparison to the encampment were also discussed. Other concerns also include causing residents to be distanced from the integrated care hub and their life-saving resources, which are notably not available at other resource centers or shelters. The integrated care hub includes the only seed consumption site in the city, along with a uniquely prepared team of 
professionals and services available 24-7. Proceedings wrapped up this afternoon on Tuesday, October 31st. However, Justice Carter, who is overseeing the case, is taking time to make his decision and will be receiving more materials from both legal teams. Thus, we do not yet know the outcome for this case, and discussions will be continuing over the next several weeks. For more coverage on today's proceedings, be sure to tune in to Today in YGK tomorrow at 5 p.m. here on CFRC. COVID-19 and flu shots are now available for the general public in KFLNA. COVID-19 and flu shots for the general public aged six months and older are now available in KFLNA at participating primary care offices and pharmacies. With winter around the corner, KFLNA Public Health is emphasizing the significant importance of getting a flu and updated COVID-19 vaccine. In an interview with CFRC, representatives with Public Health stated the following. We are strongly recommending that all residents in KFLA area to get vaccinated for this respiratory season. Um, both COVID-19 updated vaccines as well as flu vaccines are available for the general population starting October 30th. Um, we're recommending that people get both these vaccines in one visit to maximize their protection in uh, one visit to their uh, participating primary care office or pharmacy. The flu vaccine will maximize protection against the influenza virus, which is known to cause severe illness and result in hospitalization or even death among previously healthy children, older adults, or pregnant individuals. It is also important to stay up to date with your COVID-19 vaccines. The new XBB targeting vaccine will help to prevent severe outcomes due to COVID-19. The COVID-19 vaccine, the, the version this fall, protects against the strain that's called the XBB Omicron strain. And this more closely matches what's currently circulating uh, in our community. Representatives with Public Health also spoke to the situation in Kingston in terms of COVID-19 at the moment. Um, as of our last um, update on Tuesday, uh, we could see that the COVID-19 wastewater and the percent positivity was starting to stabilize. So that's a good sign. The only issue that we uh, continue to see is that our over 65s are um, uh, high, high in hospitalization right now. So it's really important that those who are over 65 and haven't um, receive their updated COVID-19 vaccine and flu shot, that it's really important to get in there and, and get that scheduled and uh, done. Once again, be sure to book your vaccine appointment with your primary care provider or pharmacy to protect yourself and your loved ones. For students on Queen's campus, be sure to visit queensu.ca to see when Student Wellness will be holding hours for vaccinations by walk-in and appointment. We're recommending that folks uh, follow up with their primary care provider, whether that be their doctor or their nurse practitioner, to see if they're offering these vaccines this fall, um, and at any uh, local participating pharmacy to see if they, they are um, available by appointment or by walk-in. AFLA Public Health this fall, we're, we're doing things a little bit differently. So we're offering mass clinics only to those who are 65 and over and those who are under five, uh, just to, to target two different uh, of these high risk groups this fall. So there's several other preventative measures as well, additional to immunization that people can take to protect themselves in the respiratory season. Um, so this would include uh, many things we heard throughout the COVID-19 pandemic. So staying home when sick, frequent hand washing, staying up to date with all immu uh, immunizations, coughing and sneezing into your elbow, and wearing a mask when recovering from illness or when it is right for you and the people that you interact with. And all these actions together will help protect um, yourself and your loved ones.
That is all things current in Kingston for this week. Thank you for listening to CFRC's local news programming. Brought to you by the generous support of the Community Radio Fund of Canada under the Local Journalism Initiative, Queen's University, and What'll I Wear at 732 Princess Street. Be sure to stay tuned for more CFRC programming coming up next. What'll I Wear offers the best in vintage, funky, one-of-a-kind treasures, clothing, accessories, and a fabulous selection of jewels, vintage and new. Find the cutest purse, the most dashing of hats and sunglasses, everything to complete your individual look. What'll I Wear has it all. They can dress you from top to bottom. Find your new fashion fave at What'll I Wear at 732 Princess Street in Kingston. Visit their new location and follow them on Facebook to keep up to date with what's in store at What'll I Wear. Dear listeners, as you may have heard, Meta, which owns Instagram and Facebook, is blocking Canadian access to all content created by news providers, including this radio station, in response to the Online Broadcasting Act. Access to local news and information matters to everyone, and while radio stations use their airwaves to keep you informed, we also use social media to share local news, events, and initiatives, and even content about our upcoming programming. We need you to write your MP and convey your concerns. Learn more and find a letter template for your MP on our website, cfrc.ca. Thank you for your support. App Party Clinic provides cervical cancer screening for patients without a family doctor. Patients without family doctors from Kingston and the surrounding area received important preventative cancer screening this week as Kingston Health Sciences Center hosted its annual PAP Party Cervical Cancer Screening Clinic. The Kingston Clinic was fully attended, seeing 88 individuals, marking a success for the program and patients in need of important routine screening. The Southeast Regional Cancer Program, located at KHSC, has been running these pop-up clinics for nine years at locations across southeastern Ontario. They are free to attend and open to anyone with a cervix who does not have a family doctor. Another PAP party for residents in the Belleville area in partnership with Hastings Prince Edward Public Health is scheduled for October 26th. So if you don't have a healthcare provider, you can email papparty at kingstonhsc.ca or phone 1-800-567-5722 extension 6071 to learn more about future pop-up PAP clinics.